Well, we are not going to look at the Psalms tonight. <clears throat> I wanted to do a, uh, a short, more of a study, less than a less less of a message, um, as a follow up to our Sunday morning message in John chapter five. Um, we talked about um, in John five. We talked about three different hopes: uh, pitiful hope of self sufficiency, the prideful hope of self righteousness, and then the the, uh, the the living hope that we have in in Christ, and so the the prideful hope of self righteousness. We talked a lot about uh, legalism, what it means to be legalistic, and that's going to come up again and again and again in John, because in the Gospels you have the Pharisees, and they're they're constantly pitted against Christ, and so I I wanted to do a a message, a study here to. Uh, just look at what is the difference between being holy and being legalistic? What's the difference between being holy and legalistic? That's a question that we ought to be trying to consider. Uh, because just like anything else, um, humans, any of us, tend to swing from one one side to the other. or We tend to fall off in one ditch or fall off in the other. So Sometimes we can be using a word like legalistic and you can understand it to, to mean something that I'm, I'm not talking about or vice versa. And so the, the, uh, really the concern is that we know what is scripture talking about. The word legalistic doesn't show up in scripture, but the concept certainly does. Um, and the word holy and the concept of holiness is obviously in scripture. They can look a lot alike. Okay, just from the outset, they, on, the, on the appearance, they can look a lot alike. But fundamentally, they are nothing alike. They're very, very different as far as a life that's devoted to holiness and a life that is devoted to a legalistic commitment. So, a couple of categories we need to think about before we get to, uh, before we get to some of these differences in holiness and legalism. Um, number one, we've talked about this a lot, um, mentioning it several times over the years, but one thing that you need to have clearly settled in your mind is that there is a difference between a conviction and a preference. There is a difference between a conviction and a preference. If you don't have that nailed down in your mind and you don't know the difference between the two, then you'll never be able to distinguish between what's legalistic and what's just holiness and what's biblical holiness. So a conviction, a conviction is something that's based on the authority of Scripture with a direct chapter and verse. Okay, so for example, it is a sin to steal. We don't have to guess about that. Go to Exodus chapter 20, verse 15. Okay, Thou shalt not steal. Pretty clear, pretty plain. Ephesians 4.28 in the New Testament, same condemnation. It's a sin to steal. You ought to have a conviction about stealing. Okay, so that's conviction based on the authority of Scripture. And again, a direct chapter and verse, maybe I should say understood rightly, you know, in its context, but Ten Commandments, 
pretty plain. Second, a preference is just a personal standard that might even be put in place as an application of a biblical principle, but it lacks the authority of having chapter and verse. So you can apply a biblical principle in a bunch of different ways. Um, So for instance, this would be a preference. Men ought to always wear a suit and tie to church. And women should always wear a skirt or a dress. Now, is there anything wrong with that standard? I don't see any suit and ties tonight, so I don't think anybody's too convicted about that. Or would claim that it's a conviction. But there's nothing wrong with that standard. If you want to wear a suit and tie, if you want to wear a skirt, that's fine. But that's a preference. That's not a conviction. Why? Because... There is nowhere in Scripture that we can go to to point out that God requires or commands that you come in a particular outfit when you come to church. Right? So the difference between a conviction and a preference. Secondly, there is a difference, and this is really where the Pharisees get it, get it wrong um, most of the time. There is a difference in the letter of the law and the spirit of the law. There's a difference in the letter of the law and the spirit of the law. 2 Corinthians 3.6 talks about, makes the distinction between the letter and the spirit. Romans 7.6 makes the distinction. So if you take a note, you can jot those down and take a look. What does that even mean? Well, the letter of the law is what the word says. The spirit of the law refers to what the word actually means. Okay, So what the word says as opposed to what the word means. Now we saw that clearly laid out in John chapter 5 verse 10. You remember Jesus goes in to the pool of Bethesda. He heals this man who had laid there or at least who had been afflicted for 38 years had laid there for I don't know how long. He gets up, he takes his bed And um, all of this happened on the Sabbath. And so in John chapter 5, verse 10, the Jews therefore said unto him that was cured, it's the Sabbath day. It's not lawful for thee to carry thy bed. Well, as far as the letter of the law goes, they were exactly right. That's what it said. You don't do any work on the Sabbath. You don't carry any burden on the Sabbath, Jeremiah 17. But when God wrote that, or when God gave that to Moses to write, he was not making a law against healing 38-year paralytics and having them take up their mat and go home or wherever it was that they were going to go. In other words, God was not preventing merciful acts on the Sabbath whenever God laid that down. God said the Sabbath is going to be a day that's set apart. Don't do the kind of normal work that you would do on any other day. But the Pharisees missed that. They got mad at God for healing somebody on the Sabbath because they were glued to the letter of the law and had no understanding of the meaning or the spirit of the text, what God actually meant. 
And sometimes that can kind of sound um, sound like it can kind of be confusing. How do you know? Um, how do you know if you're sticking to the letter or sticking to the meaning, the spirit? How do you know the difference? Um, well, one way that you can make sure that you're getting at the meaning is by trying to put the passages that you're understanding into their context. Um, if you're a proof text person, and we said you need chapter and verse for authority, but if you're a proof text person and you're, you're, you work off of single verses, you can get a single verse to mean anything you want it to mean. But if you go back and put that verse in the context, in the paragraph, and in the, in the chapter, and in the book that it belongs in, then you can figure out what the meaning of that is. That's just, um, honestly, that's just what you would call basic uh, exegesis. Exegesis just means you're pulling the meaning out of the text. Uh, there's nothing special about that. Okay, so... Difference between legalistic and holy. We said a couple of concepts you need to have in mind. There's a difference between a conviction and a preference. There's a difference between the letter of the law and the spirit of the law. Now, when we think about legalism, what are we talking about? Well, the fundamental goal in legalism is the strict following of a set of rules. Okay, the strict following of a set of rules. I'm gonna, I'm gonna set out and, 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 and subscribe to some standards and some rules, and, and that's the end goal. There is no grace in legalism. There's really no gospel in legalism. There's just performance. There's no growth in legalism. You either hit it or you don't. It's one or the other. Okay, now holiness, <clears throat> in contrast... The fundamental goal of holiness is to grow in Christ-likeness. Why do we say that? Because that's God's purpose for every single Christian. Romans 8.29 God's goal for you is that you would be conformed to the image or the likeness of Jesus Christ. So when we think about holiness and sanctification, those, go, those are hand in hand. <clears throat> it means that we've been set apart by God. Well, set apart for what? Right, that's the question. Set apart for what? Well, set apart so that you can be and should be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. You've been set apart to grow in Christ's likeness. Holiness is not primarily a performance. Holiness is a process. It's an ongoing process that's based on the work of Jesus Christ. Look in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Second Corinthians chapter three, verse 18 says, but we all with open face beholding as in a glass, the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the spirit of the Lord. Now, this change from glory to glory, uh, really, you could insert change from one degree of glory to another degree of glory. Okay, it's talking about a process of slow but regular change. So God is, in the 
process of making us holy, sanctifying us, um, conforming us to the likeness of Christ. All those things are the same. And he does it one little degree at a time. One little degree at a time. Now, we wish it was more than that, don't we? Not for us, but for people we know. Right? But it's one degree, one degree, one degree, one degree, one degree. No wonder Ephesians 4 says to walk worthy of the calling wherewith you've been called with all humility and gentleness and patience and forbearance. Why? Because you've been made part of a body where saints are being changed one little degree at a time. Right? And you are too. Okay, so we've got to we've got to put up with each other. And part of holiness means we recognize we're in this process. And our brothers and sisters are in this process as well. So a life of holiness is not simply doing, it's growing. Okay? Life of holiness is not simply doing, it's growing. Philippians 1.9, Paul's prayer for the Philippians was that their love would abound more and more. It wasn't just a strict standard or rule that they would hit and maintain. It was a character quality that was Christ-like that they would grow more and more and more and more in. So that's why true holiness and pride cannot exist together. Because there's more holiness to be attained. You never hit your standard. You're always growing until you're glorified, until your sanctification is complete. So I've got five, those are just kind of intro remarks. I've got five areas um, where we see distinctions between holiness and legalism. Five areas I want to look at. You see distinctions between holiness and legalism. <clears throat> Number one, uh, authority. Authority. Look in Matthew 15. Matthew 15, we looked at this on Sunday, verses 8 and 9. It says, This people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth, and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. Uh, legalism always elevates tradition and preference over Scripture. That sometimes we can get this wrong. We can get it mixed up and think that people who are legalistic are just too extreme when it comes to the Bible. Not so. They're not extreme enough. And what I mean by that is, it's not that they're, they're trying to follow Scripture to every jot and every tittle. It's that they've added to Scripture and held on to the preferences that they like. And they've let their traditions and their preferences become their authority, not what Scripture actually says. So again, nothing wrong with having a personal preference or a personal standard, but there is something wrong when you hold other people to your personal preference or your standard as if it was authoritative. There's also something wrong when you elevate your standard 
to be equal to or above what Scripture has to say. There's something very wrong with that, and you would know that. What's the opposite? Well, Jesus says in Matthew 4, 4, man shall not live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. The authority uh, for a life of holiness, or maybe we could say it this way, a life of holiness is built on the Word of God and the Word of God alone. Um, and so Scripture is going to be our authority. So that's, a, that's an important distinction that, that we should make. Anytime anybody is trying to be faithful to Scripture that's rightly divided and rightly understood, that's a pursuit of holiness. That's not legalistic. And that's an important distinction to make because we live in, well, I say we live in a generation. There's always different, different people in different generations, but, uh, there's a, there's a big, uh, uh, wave, Christian wave, quote unquote, that's just so lax when it comes to holy living that anything that they don't want to do or anything that might be inconvenient is called legalistic. Um, well, that's not true. If Scripture calls you to it, then Scripture is calling you to holiness, not legalism. The life of faith and the life of a Christian consists of lots of sacrifices. Just because you have to sacrifice doesn't make it legalistic. Sacrificing for what the Lord has called you to do is a mark of holiness. Asking others to sacrifice for what you think they ought to be doing is a mark of legalism. Two distinctions there. The authority, the authority has to be Scripture. Number two, motivation. Motivation. Look at Matthew 23. In Matthew 23, verse 5, it says Jesus is condemning the Pharisees here. This is the chapter in Matthew where he has all those woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees. And Matthew chapter 23, verse 5, he says, But all their works they do for to be seen of men. They make broad their phylacteries and enlarge their borders of their garment and love the uppermost rooms at feast and the chief seats in the synagogues and greetings in the markets and to be called of men, Rabbi, Rabbi. The motivation here, as far as legalism is concerned, is primarily motivated by fear of man, not a love for God. Okay? When we're talking about a fear of man, we just mean a man pleaser. And it's not a fear of any man or every man. It's just whoever you're concerned with making sure you look good in front of. So there's obviously, whenever you think about the Pharisees, they didn't have a fear of Jesus. Right? They wanted to make sure that they maintained their status. How were they going to do that? Well, you read, and we'll look at some more in Matthew 23, but the way they did that is trying to maintain this standard that was over and above Scripture. But it's a, it's a fear of man. It's preoccupied with how I look, how others see me, what people think about me. 
and an elevated status. Okay, that's motivation. Now, in contrast, if you turn to 1 Peter chapter 1, 1 Peter chapter 1, in verse 13, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13, he says, Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ as obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust and your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, or that's just all manner of life, because it is written, be ye holy for I am holy. And if you call on the Father, who without respect of persons judgeth according to every man's work, past the time of your, of your sojourning here in fear. I'm going to stop there. In 1 Peter, the call to holiness is a call to holiness because of who God is, and it's a call to holiness out of the motivation of being, uh, a motivation of, of, of a fear of the Lord or a motivation to please the Lord. Okay? It's not man-pleasing here, it's God-pleasing here. Um, and so, authority, distinctions there. Motivation, there's distinctions there. And then the question really has to be, does motivation even matter? Does Jesus care if you're doing something because you please man? Or if you're doing something because you please God? Is that a big deal? Well, you know that's the answer to that is a big whopping yes. Right? The heart is what... God looks at. Right? It's what's going on under the hood. It's what's going on in the heart that determines whether or not it's real acceptable worship, pleasing to the Lord or not. So if I'm doing something because I want you to think I'm holy and that's all I'm doing it for, well, that's not pleasing to God at all. So fear of man versus fear of the Lord. That leads us to our third one, and that's the emphasis. I just answered this uh, this category, the emphasis. In Matthew 23, you can keep your, if you're turning back and forth, you can keep your finger in Matthew 23, because we'll turn back again. Matthew 23. In verses 23 through 28, Jesus says, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. These ought you to have done and not to leave the other undone. You blind guides would strain at a gnat and swallow a camel. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you make clean the outside of the cup and, the, and of the platter, but within they are full of extortion and excess. Now blind Pharisees, cleanse first that which is within the cup and platter, that the outside of them may be clean also. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, 
For ye are like unto whited sepulchres, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within full of dead men's bones and of uncleanness. Even so ye also outwardly appear righteous unto men, but within you are full of hypocrisy and iniquity. Okay, you can't get through that passage without catching on to the fact that Jesus is condemning the Pharisees because their emphasis is on outward appearance and it completely ignores the heart. Okay, their emphasis is on outward appearance and outward manifestations, outward actions and works and those sorts of things. And it completely ignores the heart. Now, on the flip side of that, when we look in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus lets us know, this is uh, His response to the, uh, the scribes and the Pharisees after they were, uh, after they were criticizing the fact that the disciples, I think maybe they didn't wash or um, I can't remember now exactly what it was, but Matthew chapter 7, got the wrong passage here. Maybe it's Mark 7. If it's not, then I'll just tell you which one I'm talking about. Yeah, sorry, it's Mark chapter uh, Mark chapter 7, verse 15. Jesus says, There is nothing from without a man that entering into him can defile him, but the things which come out of him, those are they that defile the man. The Pharisees were upset because Jesus' disciples didn't follow the tradition of Moses and it was this ceremonial washing that they didn't do before they ate. And Jesus says, there's nothing that goes into a man that defiles him. That which defiles a man is what comes out. His disciples didn't really know what he was talking about and so they ask him, you pick up in verse 20 and he says, for from within, out of the heart of men, Proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile the man. See, true holiness, biblical holiness is going to put an emphasis on the heart, which is the fountain of outward behavior. Proverbs 4.23 Okay, it's not just what you do or don't do. It's what you love or don't love. It's what you're pursuing or not pursuing. Jesus says it's out of the abundance of your heart that your mouth speaks and that your body acts. And I'm throwing that last one in, but that's essentially what he's saying in verses 20 through 23. All these behaviors come out of the heart. That's the emphasis. Outward behavior versus heart attitudes and heart change. Number four, what's the outcome? What's the outcome? What's the final product? 
between legalism and holiness? Well, back in Matthew 23, Matthew 23, verse 1, Then spake Jesus to the multitude and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. All therefore whatsoever they bid you observe that you observe to do. I'm sorry, that you observe and do. But do not ye after their works, for they say... And do not. What's the outcome of legalism? I'm talking about the final outcome. Well, legalism will always produce hypocrites. It always will. Verse 4 says, They bind heavy burdens and grievous to be borne and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves won't, will not move them with one of their fingers. That's the state. They have a standard for you and a standard for them. They're very convicted. A legalist is very convicted about what you're doing and wants you to mind your own business when it comes to what they're doing. That's what's happening here with the Pharisees. And we're all prone to this sort of a thing. When we say hypocrisy, what are we talking about? Well, hypocrisy and inconsistency are two different things. It's one thing to say that I'm devoted to a life of holiness and in my efforts I fail, but I get back up and try again. Okay? It's one thing to say I'm devoted to a life of holiness, but I still have to wrestle with the weakness of the flesh. It's another thing to say I'm devoted to a life of holiness and have zero intention at all to devoting your life to holiness. Okay? Hypocrite is an actor. Okay, someone who is uh, is uh, intentionally pretending to be something that they're not. Now, it may seem that there's some freedom for a little bit, maybe even some exhilaration, maybe some, I don't know, some comfort even in building your life on a bunch of rules. But after a while, you're going to figure out that you are completely worn out and the rules never stop. And then you're going to figure out you're not even keeping them all that well. And then if you're blessed with self-awareness, you're going to realize you emphasize the ones that you tend to be good at. And then you, 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 you don't make a big deal out of those that, uh, that you tend to struggle with. I mean, I really do. I think that's one of the reasons. Um, I think that's one of the reasons why um, we can we can just ruin our witness because we get so fired up about things that have nothing to do with us. You know, we could preach on homosexuality all day long, and I'm going to have amens from everybody in the room because more than likely you don't struggle with that. But let me get on something that you struggle with on a regular basis. And, 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 you know, for a sermon, you might shake your head. But if I were to confront you personally, the way you would want me to confront someone who was engaged in homosexuality personally, you probably wouldn't like it. 
Right. So, so legalism is it, it's hypocrisy. I'm not saying everybody wouldn't like it, but it has to lead to that. What about holiness? Well, this is a, a beautiful prayer in Philippians chapter one. It's one that you ought to you ought to meditate on, spend some time even memorizing. It's a should be the prayer of every Christian. Philippians 1, starting in verse 9, Paul says, And this I pray that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment, that you may approve things that are excellent, and that ye may be sincere and without offense unto the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Christ Jesus unto the glory and praise of God. Well, you have hypocrisy's opposite here in verse 10, and that is that you may be sincere. That is sincerity, purity. That which is um, flowing out of a sincere heart. And so the outcome of holiness, growth and sanctification, growth in grace, is a sincere love for God and a sincere love for others and a sincere love for righteousness. It's the opposite of putting on a show. You have authority, motivation, emphasis, outcome, and then last, um, relationships. Relationships. I mean, the question we ought to think about, we ought to ask ourselves, do relationships matter in the kingdom of God? Are relationships a priority in the kingdom of God? Well, you know, the answer to that is if relate, you take away relationships and the kingdom of God doesn't even exist. What's the first commandment? Love God. That's a relationship with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. The second commandment is like unto it. What? Love your neighbor as yourself. The kingdom of God consists of relationships. Okay, so, so how does legalism versus holiness, what are some of the distinctions there? We're just looking at one distinction here, I guess. Well, you remember Matthew 23, 4. That they bind heavy burdens, grievous to be borne, lay them on men's shoulders. They themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. Legalism will lead to relational pride and isolation where others are trying and always failing to live up to your standards. That's the way that will work. We set the bar for people so high we're just perpetually disappointed because they never can meet our expectations. And then when that's the case, we end up accumulating a bunch of superficial relationships that eventually turn to nothing. That's the way, that's the way it has to work because it's a performance-based relationship and those don't work. A performance-based relationship with anybody that doesn't work when it's just solely based on that. But when we think about relationships in relation to holiness, I'll think back to Ephesians chapter 4. 
walking worthy of the calling wherewith you've been called. You remember in that calling, Ephesians chapter 1, you've been united to Christ. That's Ephesians chapter 1 and 2, uh, 2 and a half, and then 2 and a half and 3, you've been united to one another okay, in Christ. And so if you're going to walk worthy or walk in a way that's consistent with that, then holiness is going to lead to relational humility, gentleness, patience, and forbearance or tolerance. You know, the, the more you grow in holiness, the more relational you're going to be. Read the Gospels and look at, look at Jesus. He's the most relational man in Scripture. He knows how to approach people. He knows how to engage people. He knows how to interact with people. And he knows how to do it in a, again, a relational way. And so relationships, um, as far as distinctions, legalism will kill relationships. Holiness will cause relationships to flourish. Because there's humility there, there's patience there, there's gentleness there, there's tolerance there. We could really just say there's wisdom there. And so those are some differences between what it means to be holy, what it means to be legalistic. Um, it would be helpful for you to keep some of these in mind as we make our way through the Gospel of John and we're looking at what the interactions are like between Jesus and the Pharisees. I'm sure we'll reference some of them, but... Um, just to have a list like that will probably be helpful as you uh, think through uh, the rest of our passages through John. Let's pray. Father, we, uh, we thank You for Your Word. And Lord, we thank You that You've given us truth. You've given us the ability to make distinctions between things like what it means to be holy and what it means to be legalistic. Father, we confess our tendency is, is always toward... Um, one of two ditches, uh, legalism being one and just antinomian being the other. And so, Lord, I pray as we think about uh, these distinctions, uh, we would not be primarily thinking about other people but ourselves. We pray you would forgive us where we are self-righteous. We pray that you would make us aware of those areas and that you would give us the, uh, uh, the grace and the motivation to turn from that. Father, we pray you'd bless us to grow in true holiness that our relationships would flourish, our relationship with you, our relationships with one another, and that we would grow in Christ-likeness to your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.